Good morning. Uh, for those of you here on campus, good morning. And those online as well, we're glad you're joining us in worship. And in just a few moments, we're going to be having a communion together, kind of in the middle of my message. And so if you're at home, you can get those elements ready. If you're here in the room and you didn't get one of the little packets that has the uh, cracker and the juice in it, uh, you can just slip up your hand and one of the ushers will make their way down. I see a number of hands. And so as the ushers see those hands and make their way down, just catch their attention. They'll come all the way to the front and, and see you there. And that way you'll have that available in just a moment uh, as we uh, worship the Lord in communion together. If you'll open your Bibles to Luke chapter 15, Luke chapter 15, we're continuing in our series, Journey, How to Walk with God. We're looking at the practices, the disciplines, the habits of the Christian life that help us walk with God. Uh, a few weeks ago, we dealt with worship and how we need to regularly cultivate in our life uh, that practice and habit of worship. We need to cultivate, as we saw a few weeks ago, uh, scripture reading, and then we talked about community, being a part of the family of God. And today we come to that thing that is often called good for the soul. We come to confession, the spiritual practice of confession. And we define spiritual practices this way. These are intentional behaviors, habits, or disciplines that help us walk with God and be transformed into the likeness of Christ. So these are things we build into our lives that will help us be in a place where we can meet God and God can meet us and then God can shape us and mold us and make us more like Jesus. And uh, today we come to this practice of confession, uh, agreeing with God that our, our sin is sin and finding his forgiveness and grace. As we talk about the practice of confession, we'll see this today, that repentantly acknowledging our sin before God and each other allows us to experience God's faithful, forgiving grace and extend it to others. When we repentantly, now the word repentance is often confused. It has the idea of turning and it speaks of a mental, uh, an emotional with the heart, mind and heart, and then will turning of a life. And so when we repent of something, we turn from something, we agree with God that it's sin. There's a brokenness and sorrow over our violation of who God is and, and how he has spoken to us about life and how to live, and then of how God has loved us. And so we're broken over that sin. We see it as sin, we're broken over it, and then we turn with our will to walk in righteousness, to pursue Christ's likeness, and to walk in the light. And so that's why I say we repentantly acknowledge our sin with a desire to change and turn. And as we, we do that, we get to experience God's faithful, forgiving grace. And then as we experience that, we then are to be confessing our sins to each other so that we can extend God's grace to other people. We'll see both there's the vertical aspect of confession between us and God, and then there's the horizontal aspect of confession between us and other brothers and sisters in Christ. The story found in Luke 15 is a famous story that Jesus tells. In verses 11 to 31, we read the story of what we refer to as the prodigal son. The son goes to his father and claims his inheritance and goes out as a young man into the far country, goes far away from home. He gets involved in immorality and rebellious living and gathers around him a bunch of friends and they just party and have a great time. And one day the money runs out and when the money runs out, the friends disappear. And we read in the text in Luke 15 that this Jewish man finds himself feeding pigs, which is about the lowest occupation you can have as a Jewish man. 
And so he's feeding swine there in the pigsty. And while he's there, he recognizes that his father, who has great wealth and whose heart he has crushed in leaving his father and going out and living this way, he realizes that his father's servants have it better than he does. We read, if you want to be there in your Bible or in a Bible app, or perhaps on your mobile device, in Luke 15, 17 through 24, we read this. When he came to his senses there in the pigsty, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. So he begins the journey. But in the pigsty, as he's feeding slop to the swine, he realizes that his father's servants have it better. And so he wouldn't blame his father if he no longer treated him as a son and and kind of kicked him out of the family for the way in which he's lived. He, matter of fact, assumes he doesn't deserve that status. So he travels toward the father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. His father is ready to extend grace and to show mercy and to show him love and forgiveness. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Notice the vertical against heaven and against you, the horizontal. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I don't deserve that status. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring me the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Look at the grace of the father here. Such a picture of God's grace to us as his sons and daughters. We know that the older brother was out in the field, if you read the rest of the passage, and and he's angry at the grace the father is showing. He, he struggles to extend any grace to his brother. Sometimes even when we've experienced the grace and mercy of God, it's hard for us to extend grace to others. And yet part of this discipline of confession is to confess our sins to God and receive his grace and experience it and to extend forgiveness and grace to others as we confess our sins to one another. Confession is indeed good for the soul. And I want to look at both perspectives, horizontally and Vertically, we begin with vertically. Vertically, our relationship with God. Now, when we talk about this practice or this discipline of confession, we're talking about confession within the body of Christ as a part of the family of God. We're talking to people who know that they are the sons and daughters of God. None of us are born in the family of God. We're all born outside the family of God. Because of our sin, we're separated from him. But God loved us so much, he sent his son to die on the cross, to be buried, to be raised for us so that we can be his sons and daughters. And the moment we recognize our sin and that we're in need of a savior, it's not our good works or our good efforts or our good intentions that get us into God's family. It's faith in Jesus, then God picks us up and he puts us into his family now and forever. And the status will never change. Even when we feel like the prodigal son, that it should change, it doesn't. But maybe you're here and you haven't come to the place where you know you're in the family of God. Today you can leave here a son or daughter of God through his son Jesus. Just put your faith in Christ today. 
let me say, if you've joined us online or you're here in the room, we'd love to connect with you and, and celebrate with you. If you've come to Christ today or answer any questions you might have about what it means to be a part of the family of God and how, how you can become his son or daughter through faith in Jesus, you can text the name Jesus to the number below me on the screen. And as you text that name, you'll get a reply that'll give you some resources to help you know what it means to grow in the family. One of our staff members will reach out to you this week and try to help you understand whether or not you're in the family and how you can be in the family of God. Not just talking about being at Calvary, we're talking about being a part of God's family, being a Christian, and we'd love to celebrate that with you. Again, you can text the name Jesus to that number on the screen and, and we'll celebrate with you and help you in your journey forward as a part of God's family with us. And then if you're here on campus, I'm going to be out on the patio. You can come speak to me. We can have someone on our team. Just open the scriptures today. And make sure that you know that you're part of the family of God. Because the kind of confession we're talking about is confession that happens after we've confessed Christ as our Savior. It's a part of the Christian life. This is about our vertical relationship within the family of God. You see, we personally experience God's faithful, love, faithful forgiving grace as we confess our sins to him. We get to experience the faithful, forgiving grace, the goodness of God we don't deserve as we confess our sins to him. I just want to share with you kind of six basic steps. You can take these and put these into your life this week, each day in your own prayer time and Bible reading time before the Lord. Just think through these six steps when it comes to confessing your sin to God. Number one, approach God with a humble heart. The prodigal son was humble as he returned home. We're to approach God with a humble heart, not with demands, not with our own agendas, but completely empty-handed, open and transparent before God, humble before him. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Verse 10, he says that when we come in humility, bow down in humility, it's God who raises us up. We need to have a humble heart toward our God, because as we look at our own lives and God exposes the sin in our lives, it's in comparison to who God is, and he is God and we are not. He is holy and he is not. It's, it's in comparison to what he said in his word. It's in comparison to his love and grace that he's shown to us, and we need to approach him in humility. Secondly, the second step in, in this process of confession before God is to invite God to examine your life. Invite God to examine your life. David, when he writes Psalm 139, he says at the beginning of the psalm, God, you have searched me and known me because you're God. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. You're everywhere present equally at all times. I can't hide from you in the dark or behind a door. You even knew me intimately and powerfully when I was being formed in my mother's womb. God, there are no secrets from you. You have searched me and known me. And as he moves through the psalm, he comes to the last two verses and recognizing that God is that searching, knowing God because of who he is. David then says, so search me and show me what I need to see in my own life. He invites God to examine his life. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. This is not the kind of anxious thoughts in terms of anxiety as we think of it. It's, it's kind of the double-mindedness. Lord, I'm tempted to do this, but I want to do this, and I'm struggling between what is right and wrong. Show me those areas where my thinking is wrong. See if there's any offensive way in me, in my thoughts, my attitudes, my relationships, my behaviors. And then lead me in the way everlasting. That's that repentance part, turning and being led in the way everlasting. Invite God to examine your life. Say, say to him just in prayer, may your Holy Spirit show me my sin 
Examine my life. Search me, O God. Often at communion, I read Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24 to the Lord, even as we're singing a song around the communion time, just asking God to search me and show me my sin. Thirdly, acknowledge the guilt of your sin. Acknowledge the guilt of your sin. The prodigal son, when he returned, he didn't mince words. Even though his father had already hugged him and forgiven him, he had to say, I've sinned against you in heaven. He had to acknowledge his sin. And we need to be willing to call sin, sin. To call our moral failures before God, those moral failures, call them sin. Acknowledge our guilt. After David had sinned with Bathsheba in adultery and she became pregnant, he was hoping to cover all that up and it wasn't working according to his plan. So then he he had to kill her husband and position him to be murdered so that then he would look like he had waited till after her husband was dead before he was with her and this baby and there's this conspiracy and, and, and he tries to hide it and God sends a prophet who says, you are the man to David. We have two, at least two Psalms that, David wrote in confession of the adultery and the murder and the conspiracy and the cover-up. They're found in Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. In Psalm 32, 3 and 4, we read, When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped in the heat of summer. Have you ever felt the heavy hand of God's conviction on you for sin in your life? You can understand the expression of his heart as he acknowledges his guilt. In Psalm 51, 3 and 4, the same spirit of confession for his sin. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned. And then what is evil in your sight? So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. You're right, God. It's sin. It's sin. In 1 John 1, 9 John is saying when we step in the darkness after we've been walking in the light and we start in the, step in the darkness of sin, we've got to be willing to agree with God that that's sin. And so he says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Now, a lot of people miss the emphasis in this verse. The emphasis is not on our confession as the contingency of our forgiveness and our being purified and cleansed. Actually, the emphasis is on, as we admit that this is sin before God, the emphasis is the contingency, contingency here is on the character of God. He is faithful and just to continue to forgive us and cleanse us as we agree with God that it is sin and we acknowledge our guilt before him. We then step into the flowing stream of his grace that is continuous in our lives as his children. You approach God with a humble heart if you're gonna practice confession. You invite God to examine your life. You acknowledge the guilt of your sin. Fourthly, you express your sorrow over exposed sin. When the Holy Spirit says, okay, here's the attitude you had towards your wife. Here's what you shouldn't have said. Here's the behavior that is wrong that doesn't measure up to who I am. What I don't, what I, it, it doesn't measure up to what I expect from you as my child. That should break us. It should, there should be a sorrowing over our sin that we haven't been the bright light we needed to be because sin has clouded our testimony and affected our witness for Christ. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. As a part of the repentance is we say, that is sin. 
It breaks my heart, God, that I have sinned. And that godly sorrow leads us to that repentance that changes our mind and our heart and our will. And we, we move from the sin into a new direction. How long has it been since you've been serious before God and expressing your sorrow over your sin? That's a big part of our confession before him. It ought to break our hearts, knowing the grace and goodness of God, that we have sinned. Fifth, embrace God's grace as a healing balm, a healing salve. God's goodness and grace continues to flow to us. In Psalm 32, 5, David cries out, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And what's the result of that? He says, And you forgave the guilt of my sin. You forgave me. We're talking murder. We're talking adultery. We're talking uh, cover-up and conspiracy. He said, you forgave me in your grace. We have to embrace God's grace. Notice how David expresses it in Psalm 51, 10 and 12, and then in that other confessional psalm before the Lord. Create in me a pure heart. Oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. People ask me sometimes, Pastor, what happens as a Christian if I die with unconfessed sin? Do I go to heaven or not? Yes, you go to heaven. They feel like the prodigal son when he was in the pigsty and he said, I don't deserve the status of being son anymore to my father. And when we are in sin, sometimes that sin makes us feel like we don't deserve the status and we don't deserve the status to be a son. But like the prodigal son's father who came running long before the confession was made, came running in his grace to welcome his son home, our heavenly father never throws us out of the family, never diminishes our status. He is always there forgiving and cleansing. That's what 1 John 1, 9 is saying. And what happens is, it's not that you lose your eternal life when you have unconfessed sin. It's you you lose the abundant life, the joy that God intends for you. That's what you're robbed of when you harbor sin like David did. That's what you you lose when you, you think you don't need to deal with that behavior, that relationship, that pattern of life. Unconfessed sin robs us of the joy. It doesn't change our status as a son or daughter. Talk about grace. And some people will say, well, then I can just go out and do whatever I want to do because God's grace will cover it. The scriptures say if you have that view of what the Apostle Paul calls a, a, making grace a license to sin, then you need to examine yourself whether you're in the faith because you don't really understand the grace. Because the same grace that forgives us and frees us is what fuels us forward in Jesus. And so if you have this attitude, well, I'm just going to sin, do whatever I do, just throw a little confession up to God, his grace will take care of it, you better examine yourself whether you're really born again. But when you know you've put your faith in Jesus and you step into sin and God searches your heart, you acknowledge that guilt and you, you sorrow over that sin, you then have to embrace the grace. And some people will say to me, but I, I did something so bad or I've done something so often and it's one more time I'm asking him to forgive me of the same thing. You can never out God's grace. You say, well, that's pretty amazing. That's why we sing the song. 
We have to embrace God's grace as a healing balm. Pastor Jeremy read at the top of the hour, Ephesians 1, 7. Look at verses 7 and 8 of Ephesians 1. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us. Some versions say he has lavished his kindness and grace on us. We need to embrace God's grace as a healing salve and a healing balm as his forgiveness and his cleansing comes over us again. Sixth and finally, as you step through confession in your relationship with God, you live your life differently than before. Because you've confessed it, you've soured over it, you've seen it as sin, you receive his grace, and now you choose to walk in the light, to pursue living and loving like Jesus more every day. That's what the psalmist said there in Psalm 139, 23 and 24. When he says, search me, O God. At the end of it, he says, show me that. Reveal any wicked, offensive way in me, and then lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the way of righteousness. Romans 2, 4 says it this way. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. It's pretty simple. God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. Now he said that we confess in light of who God is, what he has said, and how he has loved us. And communion is all about helping us remember who he is, what he said, and how he has loved us. If you're at home, you can get the elements together. If you've got that little packet there, have it ready in a moment. We're gonna take and sing together, and then I'll conclude my sermon after our time of communion and singing and worship. But I want to read to you what the Apostle Paul said to the Corinthian church in terms of the Lord's Supper. He said in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, saying, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. Let's take a few moments to examine ourselves. I just want to guide you through a simple time here of confession before the Lord. And when I say to pray or to say something to the Lord, don't blurt that out out loud. This is between you and God in the quietness of your own heart. Just whisper this. You can have your heads bowed. You can have your heart and head bowed and glance up and the prompts I'll share with you in this time of confession uh, all will be available on the screen to help you if you kind of lose your thought there for a moment. We're just going to take some time allowing God to examine us and confessing our sin before him so that as we take communion, we can again receive this wonderful reminder of his love and his grace. Just before the Lord, with your head bowed, just say, Lord, I acknowledge before you, God, that I have sinned. In thought, in word, and in deed, in the things I have done, and in that which I have failed to do, here is my confession. Then just pray to the Lord over these areas that I'm going to mention. First of all, your, your thoughts. 
Confess to him any thoughts of lust or pride, greed, anger, resentment, prejudice. Just talk to the Lord. Ask him to search you and show you the thoughts that don't measure up to who he is and who you should be as his child. Perhaps it's the area of words that you need to make some confession. Confess to the Lord. Just say to him, Lord, this is what I, I confess what I should not have said. Those words in anger, those words that hurt. I confess what I should not have said. Before God, confess what you should have said. Maybe there was a moment speak encouragement and life into someone else and you just didn't say what you should have said. Confess that to the Lord. Maybe it has to do with actions and behavior in your life. Just say to him, Lord, I confess what I've done to offend you, God. I confess what I've done to offend you. Lord, I confess what I've done to hurt others. Confess your actions that have been sinful and wrong as God's Spirit shows those to you in your own heart and mind in this moment. Maybe it's not thoughts or words or action. Maybe it's sins of omission. Maybe there are omissions that you need to confess. You need to say to the Lord, Lord, I confess when I have not loved, trusted, or obeyed you, God. I confess when I have not loved, trusted, and obeyed you, God. Maybe you need to confess, just simply saying, when I, I confess when I have not loved or poured into other Christians like I should. Maybe you need to confess and just say, Lord, confess when I've omitted, when I've not loved or reached out to the lost. Just take a moment. Maybe your heart is dwelling on one of these areas the Holy Spirit's pointing out. Just name that to God. Sorrow over it in your heart. Confess it before him. And then simply pray these words. Lord, my sin does not measure up to who you are. What you've said. Or how you've loved me. Show yourself faithful and just to cleanse me of my sin. May your grace fuel me as I seek to walk in your righteousness. O oh Lord, let the world see your Son through me. As we examine ourselves before communion, just ponder these things. Talk to the Lord in your own heart. Even as Marcus comes and helps us survey that wondrous cross, even as you think of God's grace, confess any sin the Lord brings to mind and embrace the grace offered in Jesus. When I survey the world
invite all who know Jesus as Savior to participate with us in the Lord's Supper. The Apostle Matthew tells us that that night before Jesus was crucified, he took the bread and said, this is my body. This should remind you of my body, that I came here for you. 
We thank God that he sent Jesus to us personally as his love gift to us to redeem us and that he went to the cross, was raised from the dead, ascended to the Father, and is coming again one day for us. Let's take of the bread together. The cup, Matthew says, Jesus said, this is my blood. This is to remind us of the price he paid that provides that constant cleansing and forgiveness that only he can give, that only he could extend, and only he could extend even through us to others. Let's take of the cup together. Father, thank you for allowing us to examine ourselves. Thank you for the sin that you've shown us in our own lives and hearts and minds. Thank you for the grace and forgiveness, the love you've shown to us. Thank you for that wondrous cross. We know that the sacrifice your son made was all for love. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. As we confess our sins vertically in our relationship with God, we experience the faithful, forgiving grace of God. And then as we deal with our confession horizontally in our relationship with each other and the relationships we share, Sometimes we confess our sins directly to people we've wronged, but there's a principle in Scripture that we also confess our sins to other believers that weren't a part of the wrong that we've done. That group, like we talked about last week, that community of trusted brothers and sisters in Christ, maybe in a Bible study, a prayer group, a small group, or a ministry team, or it's a group of collected friends in the journey with us, because there's something very good for the soul, yes, in confessing our sin to God, but then in confessing our sins to each other. You see, we practically extend God's faithful, forgiving grace as we confess our sins to each other. We get to extend his grace to others. We really go through some of the same steps of asking God to search us and acknowledging our sin and doing that with others that we saw in those first six steps there that I encourage you to do in your own life as you practice confession before the Lord. But then there's something healthy that we receive, and there's something that happens to us together with other brothers and sisters in Christ when we confess our sins to each other. First of all, we agree together that our sin is bad. We agree that we're all sinners. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, and our sin is bad. James 5.16 simply says, confess your sins to each other. We're to be confessing our sins to other brothers and sisters in Christ. Luke 17, 3 says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. We're to be in this posture of confessing our sins to each other and extending forgiveness to one another. And when we're doing that, we're saying, you know what? We all struggle with temptation. We all wrestle with the sins of life. And what happens is we get to become a part of the extension of God's grace to others. You see, secondly, we rejoice together that God's grace is good. And we've done that this morning in singing together. God's grace is good. The love of God is sweet. And when we confess and forgive our sins among ourselves we become the bodily representation of God and, and of Christ and that face that smiles, the tears that flow, the hugs that come, 
As together we're reminded of how God's grace is good. Colossians 3.13 says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Here's the standard of how I forgive you and how you forgive me and how we forgive each other at the horizontal level. The standard is I forgive you as God has forgiven me. The holy God of the universe forgave me. Who am I not to then forgive you? I become an extension of his grace to you and you become an extension of his grace to me. Thirdly, when we confess our sins to each other in that small group of intimate Christian brothers and sisters that we trust, we recognize together that our mission is critical. Our mission is critical. What is our mission? Jesus left us here to become more like Jesus so that as we live in love like Jesus, people will see the light of Christ shining in us. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 14 and 16, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. As we recognize that sin is bad and we confess our sins to each other and that God's grace is good and we celebrate that and, and rejoice together in that, then we say we got to keep on mission, which is we've got to let the world see the reality of Christ lived out in us as his kingdom values flow from our lives. Our mission is critical. And when we repent of our sin and we turn to our God and we're walking with each other in that forgiveness and confession, our light gets bright for Jesus in this world. Fourthly and finally, as we're confessing our sins to one another, we determine together that our accountability is healthy. Accountability together is healthy. We all struggle. Satan is coming after all of us. The world has many temptations. And so as we confess our sins to one another, yes, sin is bad. Yes, God's grace is good. And we, are, we have a mission to be light in this world, individually and collectively. But then it's healthy to hold one another accountable. So as we confess our sins, we, we say to each other, help me that I can find healing and, and I can walk in righteousness. Walk with me. Hold me accountable. Pray for me. Speak into my life. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says we're to bear one another's burdens and, and help each other to be restored to the right path. First Thessalonians 5, 11 says, therefore encourage one another and build up one another just as you are doing. We're to be pouring into each other's lives and, and being accountable to other believers in a small setting of trusted friends is vital. This overlaps with that principle of community and that practice of community we talked about. But let me tell you, extending, extending grace and the goodness of God to others in forgiveness is not easy. Sometimes the sin they're talking about is something that triggers us because of somehow how someone wronged us before. Or maybe we just don't think that that's something that God's grace ought to cover. It's hard. Some of you followed the story of Larry Nasser, the doctor who was the, the national coordinator of medical care for USA Gymnastics. You learned in that story that for over three decades, Dr. Nasser, working out of the University of Michigan, abused and sexually abused over now 265 different children and young women, especially associated with gymnastics. It was a horrific story, and he was tried at the federal level, the state level. He had three different sentences come down over the last four years, and Larry Nasser will now spend well over 200 years, many lifetimes in prison without ever seeing parole. One of the victims who early on 
confronted him, reported him, was a young Christian woman named Rachel Denhollander. And when Nasser went to be sentenced after he was convicted, victims were allowed to make a victim impact statement. Her full statement is over 40 minutes where she spoke directly to him in the courtroom in Michigan. And this young woman, as she addressed the abuser in her life, extended grace to him, like we're to extend to each other. And I can't imagine how hard it was. But listen as she speaks of the sweetness of the gospel and extends to her abuser the grace and goodness of God. Watch this. In our early hearings, you brought your Bible into the courtroom and you have spoken of praying for forgiveness. And so it is on that basis that I appeal to you. If you have read the Bible you carry, you know that the definition of sacrificial love portrayed is of God himself loving so sacrificially that he gave up everything to pay a penalty for the sin he did not commit. By his grace, I too choose to love this way. You spoke of praying for forgiveness, but later if you have read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come from doing good things, as if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror without mitigation, without excuse, without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry says it is better for a millstone to be thrown around your neck and you thrown into a lake than for you to make even one child stumble. And you have damaged hundreds the Bible you speak carries a final judgment where all of God's wrath and its eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. And that is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet. Because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. And it will be there for you. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. Did you hear her say she extended that grace to him? One of the toughest things for us as Christians to is extend the grace God has shown us to other people. As part of the practice of confession, we confess our sins, yes, to God. We confess our sins to each other so we can experience the faithful, forgiving grace of God and so we can be channels of that grace to other people. Can I encourage you to walk through those six steps? Reach out to your small group or a, a group of, of friends and, and practice the, the discipline of confessing your sins to God and others. Let me give you a few, three simple steps here and next steps to take. Number one, you can take some of those confession psalms like Psalm 32 and 51 and just read them back to the Lord. You'll be amazed at how David's words will parallel your own words of confession. Number two, you can uh, pray through a provided confessional prayer resource we have on our website. It was something that Dr. Jim Altizer uh, shared with me. And I uh, just would encourage you to check that out. And that's a way you can have a time of confession before the Lord. And then thirdly, uh, you seek out and confess your sins to two to three trusted 
friends, Christian friends you've selected for your journey. The prodigal son thought he had lost his status, but his father welcomed him home as his son. He hadn't lost his status. As we confess our sins, our father is faithful and just with open arms to receive us in grace. And then we get to extend that grace to others in his behalf. Would you pray with me? Father, help me to allow you to search my life, my thoughts. Show me that sin. Help me to confess that, to sorrow over it, to embrace the grace and turn in repentance back into the light and out of the darkness. Father, help us to be willing to walk with each other through the brokenness of sin and temptation, to experience grace, to hold each other accountable. And Lord, it's hard for us to extend grace to others, and yet you, the holy God of the universe, has extended grace to us. Thank you for that reminder in communion today. Be glorified in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.